I guess you know by now that I never really plan these. I have no idea how they sound or what you think of them, although that's a lie. Some of you have written in to say that you've been enjoying the big interview at the Euros so far, and I'm I'm thrilled about that. Thrilled. I mean that, you know, absolutely, sincerely. If you compose something written, painted, scripted, or off the cuff like this, and people connect, there's there's not much better. But nonetheless, I'm I'm venturing forth into this late at night. It is late at night. It's, let me look if I can focus. It's half past one. I'm back from Wembley. And I know what I feel and I know what I want to transmit, but I haven't built a structure. So if you feel that this rambles, bear with me. Defeat is never really very palatable. But I walked away from Wembley having enjoyed the night. I walked away from Wembley and this this echoes what I said about the Switzerland game. And I promise you, I give you nothing but the unvarnished truth. During the Switzerland game, the match, the extra time, I was nervous. In the penalty shootout, I knew, I was convinced. It was a little bit the other way tonight. Waiting down, eventually on the touchline while the penalty shootout took place. I was pretty sure what was going to happen. Part of that is a statistical thing. Yeah, isn't that romantic? Isn't that what you tuned into here? Let's, after a night like that, let's talk statistics. But I was, I was first drawn to the pattern by Ben Littleton. And if you haven't read his publications about penalties, you should. He's done really well. He's changed the way that people think about them, analyse them, the way we talk about them. And the hard fact is, the vast percentages of times, the team that starts the shootout almost irrespective of whether they convert the first penalty or not, wins it. So during the shootout, I'm thinking it's Italy. They haven't quite been clinging on, but they've been second best. But they've got the penalties. They're shooting first. Spain won the last shootout. Winning two on the trot is big deal, big news. And would I have said all this if Spain had gone on to win and it proved me wrong? <laughs> yes, I would. I, I didn't think they were going to do it. The way it went wrong was disappointing. Why? Because analytically, you have to thread back through what I think were the two outstanding performances for Spain. And what's more, I think they leap out of the night such that they stand comparison with great performances in recent memory and one of them great performances in living memory. They're Pedri and Danny Olmo. When Danny Olmo was picked, the idea was, and I love this, You, in fact, all of you will, anybody who studies football, loves football, reads about football, anybody who's been kind enough, generous enough to expend energy listening to the big interview will know that one of the ideas when you get centre-halves who are dominant, who are voracious, who are experienced, who are street fighters, what you can do is, is try to confuse them. The false nine idea became very popular again once it began to be the way that Leo Messi's position under Pep Guardiola was described. But of course, we've seen other footballers play like that. They tell me, I I have to take it on trust. I've heard David Pleat talk about it, that Don Revy was one. Fine. Certainly Michael Laudrup was one. And I guess that having watched Laudrup under Cruyff, that must have helped guide... Pep Guardiola's thinking, when not only did he say to Leo Messi, I want you coming in off the wing, but I want you playing centrally, he must have made comparisons with the mess that he saw Laudrup making of defenders when they didn't know where he was or what he might do next. There was a famous story, and I wish I could remember the the particular striker, but there was a big 
brutal striker in La Liga around the time that Cruyff managed Barcelona and made them into the dream team. You know why they were called the dream team? Well, it's because the US basketball team, which went to the 92 Olympics, was called the dream team because it was made up of just the very best superstars of the sport in this once ultra-amateur Olympiad. And they went there, they weren't always loved, and they stomped all over people. And if I'm not wrong, but Charles Barkley was part of it. I don't think he was particularly loved. But the dream team was something that came to Barcelona with the US basketball side and stayed with Cruyff's team. Anyway, there was this striker who used to terrorise Barcelona's defence, partly because they had small footballers in and around the defence, whether it might have been Eusebio or Albert Ferrer, even Baquero. And one day Cruyff said to them, OK, look, he loves a battle. He loves when you go touch tight. He loves to turn you. He loves to bully you. Don't go near him. And Cruyff's players were like, what? What are you talking about? Leave him space. He's bad enough when we try to deny it. Cruyff said, leave him alone. Don't go near him. Confuse him. And allegedly that striker never had another good game against Cruyff's Barcelona because he didn't like being given space and time to think. He was one of those. And I've, I've had this argument, not argument, I've talked this through with when Robert Huth and Wes Brown, we were recording with them in London last year, and the idea was that we had to ask them about playing against Drogba. And they both said, look, he was brilliant. And he wasn't a bully. He wasn't a brute. If you didn't want to mess with him, then it was about the football. Yeah, he was physically dominant and quick, but he was a good footballer. And if you didn't want to provoke him and, and, and piss him off, which was the best thing to avoid doing, then it was just, he played, he played you. And if he outplayed you, he outplayed you. But if you tried to bully him or niggle him, then he came after you. And both Wes Brown and Hoot, who had, both of them had many, many battles with Drogba, said, listen, up there were the best we've ever faced, but don't get him annoyed. Let him do his things. But if you, if you awake the beast, then you're in trouble. So this was the offset for Cruyff and, and this dreaded striker. Leave him alone. And because he's not drugged by class, he'll drift off. He'll be confused. He'll be ineffectual. Well, it's a version of that that I think Luis Enrique tried to do with almost positioning. He reckons that the Catalan in place for Leipzig is, is really intelligent, knows how to get between the lines. And ultimately, the lovely, lovely... It, it was so... It was as if it was preordained, the one-two with Morata. Perfection in the, the turn, the touch, the timing, the release of the pass. It put Morata, not notoriously a clinical finisher, in a position where he just had to basically shuttle it home. And it was a beautiful goal. But during the match, Olmo was supposed to be in the central striking role with Ferran on one side and Oyarzabal on the right. And I don't, I wouldn't say that it it it, it left Bonucci and Chiellini bemused. But what it did do was, throughout the game, it gave Olmo time and space because he wasn't asked to be the nine. He played in a central position, but he was allowed to drift, drop deep, link. And as the game went on, I thought Olmo, in terms of not just his skill, but his ferocity, he was one of those who lifted a Spain side who I thought might be a little bit undercooked, a little bit naive for a... Still, even if this is a developing, very pretty Italy side, they're hard-boiled. You don't mess with them. And 
Omo was heroic, let's call it. In terms of his physical effort, his athleticism, what he put himself through, and he kept on delivering quality, superb. I think the kid's 24. I've met him. He's multilingual. Um, He speaks Croatian, Catalan, Spanish, flawless English. And, of course, he's in the midst of learning German to live and work in the Bundesliga with Leipzig. But by the time extra time was finished, I'd have said it was screamingly obvious. When your first penalty taker is selected, and it was selected before they knew that Locatelli was going to miss, but you can change your list, you can alter it, all you have to do is inform the referee. That's the stage where you have to score your first one. If they've missed their first one. Now, Olmo only put it over. And his penalty against Switzerland was gorgeous. The corner, it's the one that settled the nerves. It's the one that told the rest of them, yeah, we're going to win this. But he was exhausted. Now, this isn't a critical voice, but we all like to ponder, what would we do? Some of you might have been shouting at the TV screen, give it to Olmo, don't give it to Olmo, I don't know. But I'm sad for him because his night shouldn't have ended like that. He's uh, characterful, intelligent and tough. He'll get over it. It isn't the end of the world. But in terms of whether Spain should have won that shootout and gone through to the final, they were the better side. Italy were good. Their idea about how to break the high line, the quality of the goal, some of the chances, and they created as many chances as Spain. I would just argue that Spain didn't use any null and void possession. There was no, you know, passing it in a loop from the left back to the left centre, back to the right centre, back to the right, and then back again. That thing that Guardiola hates so much, kind of a, a big U of passing, hates it. That's not how Spain played, for my taste at least. Argue away if you want, send in your complaints, I don't mind. Italy were were respectable, created good chances, always looked dangerous. Spain were the better side. They played with verve, they played with daring, they always tried to break lines with passes, they took the ball to feet with an Italian ready to nick at their ankles and knock them over. But the referee did fine, you know, no big deal. But I thought Spain were brave, entertaining, daring with the ball, always trying to make something happen. Not perfect in their final ball, certainly not perfect in the finishing. Again, Oyarzabal. Oyarzabal's chance to finish. First from Pedri's ball in, but the header. The header where he's he's really one-on-one with Donnarumma and all he has to do is glance it off the left temple and it goes to Donnarumma's right side and he doesn't reach it. That was a miss. But... I don't begrudge Italy their place in the final because they they approached the penalty shootout in a way that I'm arguing Spain maybe didn't. Morata's miss again. Look, so personally, I don't put Olmo first taker. I'm not even sure that I don't leave Olmo if he's desperate to take one until quite late on. Because when you're knackered, I mean physically knackered, you need to draw a breath, watch the penalties, recenter yourself, refocus yourself. If he's taken one, he shouldn't have been first. They are. Said it. And it's right. Morata is a different beast. Morata rhymes with erratic. Or it's, at least it's onomatopoeic. And you're never really sure what you're going to get from him. He scored two wonderful goals. Of his goals, he scored two wonderful goals um, in this tournament. The, the fourth against Croatia was wonderful. And I thought last night's, this night's goal was, was beautiful. Morata came on and rampaged across Italy's defence. Fearless. Not any more 
the junior guy that Chiellini and Bonucci push around and laugh at and gobble up like they did in Paris in 2016. No, I'm here and I'm biting your ankles. I loved it. But the goal was beautiful. I thought it was a really lovely goal. Anyway, Luis Enrique tells us after the game that Morata is, during the extra time, is carrying an adductor injury, which I guess means it's something like a groin problem. But he insists on taking one. Yeah, it does say good things about his character. But do you let him? You worry already he's missed a penalty in this tournament. It's against a, a fearsome goalkeeper in Donnarumma. I'm not sure. Again, I'm not being critical. I just think Spain are out because of minute details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Overall, this was the performance they've been promising. I think at least as good as the high spots of the Croatia game, but without the defensive frailties. Really pretty good by Luis Enrique in terms of the way he designed the idea. If I'm being picky, I want him to go with the centre forward sooner. I think the law of diminishing returns got to a point before Chiesa scored to say, yeah, this is worked. Italy are, are subdued. We're dominating possession. Striker on. I think that was just maybe 10 minutes too late. The other things to say clearly is Pedri. I mentioned at the beginning two outstanding performances. Olmo, I hope I've convinced you. Pedri, I'm aware that I keep going on about him. But this was a, a senior night. I'm not having a senior moment. That was him against Sparella in the territory where... Verratti lurks. This was Pedri against overlappers. Pedri with the the threat of Chiellini, who for 50 minutes was Italy's best player, creating an overload down Italy's left, setting Emerson away, breaking lines, coming through, using the ball cleverly. Boy, Chiellini is one hell of a character, one hell of a player. Really, in all honesty, for any of you who are English, good luck against Denmark. Good luck if you get as far as the final. But part of me would love to see Chiellini, a, a man who has devoted um, a lot of time and and support for the charity where footballers give 1% of their earnings to good causes. The fact that he is beloved, I think, across everybody I know who's met him and knows him. Multilingual, interesting, um, a liberal man. So... Seeing Kalini win and lift a trophy wouldn't give me heartburn on Sunday night. But back to Pedri. Pedri saved his best performance for the most difficult moment. And he's 18. There were various stretches where I was taking snapshots of the data that was being pumped into the TV screen to my right, where it said Pedri, deep into the second half, had run more kilometres than any player. Pedri had attempted more passes than any player. 
And at that stage, deep in the second half, he had a 100% success rate. Not cautious passes, not sideward passes, threatening passes. Passes with one touch. Passes to open things up. There was one in the first half, a movement where he just, in fact, it was just after he set Oyathabal up, that he, he did that thing where you, I've seen Maradona do, Ronaldinho do, with the ball, you hook your foot around the ball and you kind of lift it over your opponent's challenge. And it was gorgeous. To, to put that much effort in at 18 when you've got a physical disadvantage to a lot of your rivals and still not miss a beat, not miss a pass, not miss a millimetre. At the end, Luis Enrique maybe went a step too far by saying nobody has ever played a tournament like that at that age, not even Andres Iniesta. Yeah, fine, okay. Word has it that Pelé was quite good aged 17 or 18 in 1958 when they won the World Cup. So maybe let's leave room for not already saying that Pedri's the greatest footballer ever, shall we? Those breaks having been applied, I am still, even after all I've written and said about him, I am astonished. We're in the presence of somebody who is easily a generational, shining talent, but somebody who continues to astonish with his composure, his maturity. He actually, I've interviewed him only once, and prior to this match yesterday, he just gave nothing to the media. But that was deliberate. The one time I've met him, it was in private. He's a good talker. He's a mature guy. And it's worth it. Maybe I can help a little bit behind the scenes by saying, when he's the new kid on the block with La Selección, the, the Spain national team, he doesn't hang around with the young kids. The older veteran players gravitate towards him. As Billy Cueta said on radio Monday night, the guy who's in cross impressed me across the whole tournament is Pedri. He can do anything he wants with the ball. We live in the era of Pedri. Somebody even asked him, is this Pedri's Spain already? <laughs> He's, I don't know, what has he played? He played two, three games at Easter, and this is three good games. What have they played? Six games? Let's say nine. And they're asking, is this Pedri's Spain? It's going to become a legitimate question, but I think, again, maybe, maybe it was posed a little bit too early. You can hear me smiling. I think Spain have gone out with heads held high, um, with honour. I think they deserved to win during the 90, maybe even the 120. But you don't take chances, son, you go home. Better lesson for them to learn. Is there a striker out there? Maybe there is, but maybe there was a striker within the squad. I don't really understand Luis Enrique's use of Gerard Moreno there. I've said it. I think he's a more important footballer and a more regular scorer than Spain made use of in this tournament. But then again, he's not immune from accusations of having missed chances. Whether he missed them because he feels he's he doesn't have a great connection with the coach or maybe he adores him and he just had a bad couple of moments in front of goal against Switzerland. Maybe Jan Sommer just spooked him. The long and short is there's a bit of frustration because playing like that, I honestly think Spain beat Denmark or England. I genuinely do. It was interesting too, wasn't it? <laughs> After it being clear against Croatia, headed goal conceded. Poland, headed goal conceded. Switzerland, um team gifted chance to Switzerland that they didn't take. It was really clear that what should have happened was Bonucci or Chiellini should have scored. And what did happen was Spain barely gave away a corner or a free kick. I haven't counted, so again, pillory me if I'm wrong. But I remember, I can only remember one Italy corner in, in the first half. They were so good, they just didn't really concede many set plays. It could have been the same against England or Denmark. Hi, Denmark. 
look, the long and the short is, as much as it's a privilege, and I would never, ever complain about the things that I get to do for a living, if I compare even 2006 following Spain, but particularly 2008, 10 and 12, the Brazil tournament was horrible. Fractured, bilious, players misbehaving, not enjoying each other's company. One or two players kept in the team when they shouldn't have been. One in particular, Xavi, dumped from the team when he shouldn't have been. A horrendous accident against Holland when they were 1-0 up, should have gone 2-0 up, so it's a penalty. And not only did Holland thump them, but a lot of players, hi Robin Van Persie, go looking for vendettas for to, for four years previously. There was late on when Holland have won it, they go looking for to leave stud marks. And it was, it was awful to watch. The atmosphere was bleh. Really the same goes for the French European Championships. They blew it. They were still a decent side. Some of those who have now been discarded, but who were originally outlined as the changing of the guard, didn't perform properly. I don't think Vicente del Bosque was at his best in that tournament either. And by the time we reached Russia, what was budding as a very promising side under Lopetegui is ruined by Florentino Perez not being able to resist plucking away the Spanish manager, announcing it before the tournament. Rubiales doesn't do the right thing, sacks him, brings in Hierro. And the players kind of go, all right. And it was, it's not a lot of fun to be around. You you, you don't need to have an, a millimetre of sympathy, but um, it's cack. This, this was evangelical. This is what football should be all about. Guys who are here because they adore being here. Guys who are already knackered at the end of a domestic season going, no, I want this. Alba, who's won most things. Busquets has won everything flogging their guts out to get to the final and to try to win. Alba and Busquets probably given a new lease of life by the enjoyment they're having with the national team, I think. Old heads, Azpilicueta having his best tournament. New guys, Unai Simon, Eric Garcia, Laporte, Pedri, Olmo. So much to enjoy. So much to look forward to. Each of them articulate, friendly, helpful, the press setup, hello Pablo Garcia, fantastic. And even though they've been frustrating when they couldn't score goals that their performances deserved, they played a brand of football that I like. And I thought I was at an epic tonight. I really thought I watched an epic game of football. If if that, given both sides and a slightly different approach to the evening, isn't what football's supposed to be, then somebody's turned the page when I wasn't looking. I think most of you will have been transfixed. It was brilliant to be at uh, two-thirds full Wembley. Look, I don't know the percentage of fans that were there, but it was raucous. It was noisy. We've lived 15, 16 months with stadia that are, you know, CGI are pretending they're full. We've had piped-in noise, which I prefer to silence. And we've said this can be anemic, but it wasn't last night. It was just, it was passionate. It was voracious. It was funny. The stuff with Chiellini and Alba mucking about with each other and Felix Brich, the referee, before the penalty shootout. Even before Chiesa goes up, Chiesa's holding his tie before um, the, I think, the second part of extra time happens. You can see he's not right. But as the referee's trying to get the second half of extra time kicked off, Luis Enrique and Chiesa are flipping, laughing and joking as if it was a school jamboree on the side of the pitch. You have to like it. Roy Keane wouldn't obviously 
Roy, if you're listening, come on, man, cut them a bit of slack. We're going to carry on, obviously, with the the big interview at the Euros because the Euros carry on. For the moment, this is my sign-off as your man with Spain. I hope I've communicated some things that interested you. I hope I've communicated some things that you, you didn't know. I've wanted to paint a picture of the people that I see as well as the football that we've all watched together. What's that you say? You'd like me not to forget the Bet365 man of the day. Okay, I shan't. We could say Jorginho, couldn't we? Easily. An exquisite footballer. Absolutely exquisite. I'm going to name check Rob Moore here. Rob is Benny McCarthy's agent, Stephen Pinar's agent. He was agent to a number of other really good footballers, but at the moment he's probably most famous for being the agent to Christian Pulisic. Rob and I share a view on football and, in fairness, it's it's quite Ajax-based. In fact, Rob took Cape Town Seven Stars, made them Ajax Seven Stars by making a deal with Ajax Amsterdam, taking Benny to, to the Eredivisie and making Benny famous via his exploits with Ajax. But we look at football in a similar way and we moved to Barcelona at identical times and each of us, when we saw Jorginho moving to, to Chelsea and saw what he did at a time when critics, ex-players, ex-coaches, journalists in England, okay, Jorginho, you can close him down, it's really easy. Chelsea stopped playing of Jorginho, if you put him on it, that was rubbish. At any rate, Jorginho looked to me there and then, and it wasn't simply because um, Guardiola had tried to buy him from, for City and failed. He had looked like the nearest thing I'd seen to an identical to Busquets. The vision, the movement, the first time passes, the anticipation of what can happen if you put the ball there, move there, and then release the ball again when it comes back to you, was just gorgeous. I think for those who saw him as an acquired taste, I think their taste buds are now tingling as if they'd taken a full packet of opal fruits. And Georgina was exceptional again tonight, to be fair. It felt to him to score the winning penalty, nicely tucked away. Bravo. What did I say? They call him Radio Jorginho because of all the information he's continuously broadcasting to the people all around and telling them when there's when they need to be on the move, when they've got the wrong space, when there's somebody but you get the picture. The very fact that I'm not making Jorginho the Bet365 man of the day should tell you, and maybe I'm going to leave you alone for a while now, but it should tell you what I think about Pedri. In my opinion... We're witnessing somebody of the most astonishing vision, bravery, talent, maturity. And and to throw into the fact that this is his first senior season, he was let go after a trial at Real Madrid when they said, no thank you. And exactly a year ago, he was about to move to Barcelona, worrying about whether Barca B would be in the third division or not, whether he'd be playing third division football with Barca B or whether he might get a loan. Barca might loan me to Borussia Mönchengladbach. One year on, he's been at or around Barcelona's top two players of the entire season. He's won the Copa del Rey and he's been just about Spain's best player at the European Championship 2020. I will hear no arguments about Pedri again being my Bet365 man of the day. Buenas noches. It's been fun talking with you. It's been fun hearing your points of view. Keep sending them in. Keep sending the questions in. For the moment, as much as I can accept defeat, it's time for me to go and lick my wounds.
subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 